0: How's everybody doing? So we had an incredible uh, Holy Spirit meeting uh, this last Wednesday. It was really, really good. It was good for me. I know everybody that came, I think, was really blessed and really enjoyed it. Um, I just had a wonderful encounter with the Lord um, that carried over throughout the week. And so I'm just really feeling refreshed and good. The Bible says times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. And uh, it, it was actually, I was Wednesday night just um, praying and uh, and. The Lord was speaking to me about the message today, and then uh, I was just had some other people that were sharing what they had experienced, and it was the same message, although in different uh, spoken in different ways. Uh, but I thought um, the encounter and the experience that Jeanette Peasley had was really uh, right in line with what God was saying. So before I get started, I asked Jeanette if she would just share briefly with you guys what she experienced and what the Lord ministered to her uh, Wednesday night. So Jeanette, you want to come share?
1: Good morning, everybody. How are you all doing this morning? I'm doing great. And yeah, Wednesday was really, really awesome. I went home and I just couldn't even, it took a while. But anyway, um, during the time, toward the end of the service, um, I see a lot of things. God shows me a lot of things sometimes during this. And um, I was taken to a huge room. It was almost like the Vatican. And on one side, there were black boxes. On the other side, there was just a ton of scrolls. And uh, there was an angel there that was the keeper of that room. And he had some things for me that were personal that uh, he shared and explained to me about the boxes because I was real curious and I wanted to go touch them. He's like, no, that's not yours. Don't touch it. And I was like, oh, he's like, this one is, though, here. And he gave me this black box. And I'm like, well, what is this? And he says, this holds what you think is a sin in your life that prevents you from having, walking into the fullness of your scroll and your purpose that I've been trying to open and that Pastor Aaron has been trying to open all this time. And you're not the only one. All these boxes belong to somebody who believe that they're not worthy of walking into their purpose, their life, their scroll, whatever. This side, here's your scroll. Whoop. He brings it, gives it to me, and opened it. And I noticed that it was only half revealed. And he said, that's because you've only stepped into this much. Because you've let go of some things. But until you fully let go of everything that you believe is a sin that is keeping you from me, you need to understand, I love you no matter what. I love all of you. I love the good, the bad, the ugly, the pretty, the everything. I made you how I made you, and I love you that way. So you have a choice. And I want you to also let everyone else know, they have a choice. You can take this box, and you can keep it, and you can hold it close, and you can have... You can, ha- you can be a person that's supposed to spread joy to people and enjoy the joy, but instead you turn to drugs and alcohol or something because you want to keep creating something that you won't take from me because you're afraid of the sin that you have. So that was just an example. So, Or you can take the scroll. But once you take this scroll, he shows me this doorway that opened with fire, blue fire, there's a lot of fire in this tunnel. He said you walk through with this scroll and it's all going to fall away and you will be in your purpose and so will they. So basically, pick the scroll, man. <laughs> because the box is not fun and the box will just burn away and turn to ash. So that's what I saw it was really awesome. I came out of that and had a great time rolling on the floor laughing with Laurie and everything. So really just feel that we have a choice and we can continue to believe the lie that we think is a sin. And keep it in this black box that we don't want to reveal ourselves so we can actually take that scroll and move forward and be purified and how we're supposed to be. So it was awesome.
0: Come with me to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Then we're going to look in Matthew 18. And we're looking at living a supernatural lifestyle as opposed to a supernatural once in a while. Most Christians, if they're fortunate, let's just be honest. Have a supernatural once in a while. Once in a great while they get, uh, they have an encounter like what Jeanette's talking about or once in a great while they hear the voice of God or see a miracle or a healing or something like that. But as, as God's kids, as His sons and daughters, we're not just called to have a supernatural once in a while. Our lifestyle should be supernatural. It really should, and it really can be. Let me just put it that way, because should kind of put something on there that probably God doesn't intend. If you want to go live just a perfectly natural, normal life with no adventure, uh being able to, with a lot of predictability and just being able to know what is coming next and have God in a box where he has, you know, theologically you've just got him all figured out and you know exactly what he's going to do and you know exactly how to relate to him, then he's going to love you and that's going to be great and you go do that. And we bless you in that. And there's a place for you here. For some of the rest of us who want to have the adventure of a supernatural lifestyle, it's available. It's available. How about that? That's a better way to say it. So, how do we do that, though? So I want to give you keys, really simple things. We talked about three last week. I want to talk about really one key in this message. I want to talk about one key, and that is the key of having a childlike heart. Having a childlike heart. Deuteronomy, I'm reading two scriptures again. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. God's talking to Israel through Moses. He's talking to the generation that will not inherit the land. And he says, and the little ones who you said would be taken captive, your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land. I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. Notice who gets to enter. It's the little kids who don't yet know good from bad. But notice what the older generation is saying. They're saying if you don't know good from bad, you're going to be preyed upon. You're going to be a victim. In fact, one translation says, your little ones that you said would be victims because they did not know good from bad. So the generation that's dying off, the generation of death, says, you have to know good from bad in order to survive. But God says, it's the little ones who do not yet know good from bad that get to enter the land. Let me say, enter. Now come with me to Matthew eighteen. Verse one. At that time the disciples came to Jesus. And asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me just reframe something for you. (laughs) Every time you read the kingdom of heaven or heaven in the scriptures, it's not talking about the afterlife. If you don't get that, you're going to mess up every time you read the Bible. Because what we've done, really, in a lot of ways since the Reformation in the Western world, is we've made everything about getting into heaven. And, and our understanding of heaven is that's the place you go when you die. But that was not Jesus' understanding of the kingdom of heaven. That's not what he was talking to his disciples about. And Paul, in one place, in Ephesians chapter 2, around verse 6, he says that you and I have already been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So please understand, the ancient understanding, the ancient Jewish understanding for the kingdom of heaven had nothing to do with dying. It had to do with having a relationship with God and entering a realm and a world where his will, his purpose, his power, and his authority was supreme. So when Jeanette, when she's sharing her experience and she's talking about the scrolls, that is an example of entrance into the kingdom. Because in that scroll is the purpose and destiny and plan of God for your life. And the authority and the provision to access what you need in order to live it. So we're talking about encountering the supernatural. When we're talking about entering the kingdom, we're talking about encountering the supernatural. So for our purposes today, when we're reading in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and it says this generation will enter the land, the land that we can be talking about is this land of the spiritual world, if you will, this land of the heavenlies, if you will, that is very real. And it's not way out in the great by and by someplace. It's another dimension of reality. But it's not separated, you know, by stars and... (laughs) That is not a right conception, okay? Jesus said in another place, He said, The kingdom of heaven is where? It's within you, right? Right? So here's the point. And this is a very strong statement. I want you to think about what Jesus said. Unless you change, unless you change and become like little children, you will not enter... The kingdom of heaven. Or you will not be able to have a supernatural lifestyle. You will not really be able to experience what God has for you. And you really won't be able to experience the relationship that God wants for you if you don't first change as an adult, change and become like a little child. A little child. A little child that has not yet learned good from bad. Now this is incredibly countercultural in the church today. Because... In our Western presentation of the gospel, we have tried to contain the gospel inside a legalistic paradigm. So the word, and it's not our fault, it's the way our Bibles are written. In some senses. So let me give you an example. There are many times, if you're reading your Bible, that it talks about law. Now when you and I hear law, we think in our cultural paradigm, in our cultural terms. So we will present the gospel out of our cultural paradigm with metaphors like this. God is a judge. Everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And by that, we insert a meaning. We actually insert a cultural meaning that is not in the text. Because there there was not a judicial system like this in the ancient world, so they could not have been thinking like this. But here's how we do it. God is a judge, and everybody else is a lawbreaker. And what God is primarily interested in is that you don't break the laws. But because you've all broken the laws, God still has to be just and has to do something. So, and and, the some, and for some reason, we think the something that he has to do, because we're working inside our own cultural metaphors, then we think, okay, what does a judge do if somebody's guilty? He sentences them. Well, what's the next thing that happens after they get sentenced? Punishment. So we work it out inside our cultural paradigm. So we say, if, if, there's, if there's a crime and there's a guilt, there has to be punishment or God is unjust. Because we're working justice from our cultural understanding as well. Because in our culture, it's justice when somebody is punished for what they did. In God's culture, justice happens when what was done is restored or fixed. Difference between punitive justice, retributive justice, and restorative justice. So it's hard for us, I'm having to do this because it's hard for us to hear this, because for a lot of us, our whole Christian existence is, what do you mean? The whole thing is good and bad. Our whole message is good and bad. Becoming a mature believer is about knowing the difference between good and bad. But Jesus now, this is where, okay, a psychological background, human development background is a little bit helpful. Because a little child is not yet at the stage of moral development. So Jesus didn't just bring a child. He didn't bring an adolescent. The word there is a little child, meaning a child that does not yet know good and bad. And Jesus says, unless you become like this, you can't enter. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Jesus said, unless you change it, become like this, you cannot enter. But our whole system is built on good and bad. Now, watch this. Let, you know the story, right? I mean, I've done this story a thousand times, and I can see the look on your faces like he's going back to the garden again. <laughs> the garden story again. But it, we got to get it. We got to get it. Because the temptation for Adam and Eve was not to do something evil. I'll say that again. The way the serpent tempted, the serpent did not tempt Adam and Eve to do something evil. He tempted, or the serpent, tempted Adam and Eve to eat a knowledge. To consume a knowledge that had just as much good in it as it did bad. So that the reality is, the good is, and you've heard me say this a thousand times, the good is just as deadly as the bad. And did you know, in the way the author does the story, sin is not even introduced in the story. You have to make it. You have to put it there. It's not in the text. Yeah, God told them, don't eat at the tree. And they did it anyway. And they were punished. So we already start working that paradigm. But there's more to the story than that. We'll come back to that in a minute. Let's come back to being like a child. Very simple illustration. See, we we make supernatural stuff is not... The supernatural stuff that God does is not separate from this world. It's integrated into this world. The spiritual world is not separate from this world. It's integrated into this world. That's the whole meaning of the incarnation, that the word became flesh. It's the foundation of Christian doctrine is that there's integration between the invisible and the visible in the person of Christ. He's holding all things together in himself. Make sense? So Jesus then can use natural illustrations for you to learn from. Jesus did not hand his disciples a Bible and say, learn this Bible and you'll be able to do miracles. He said, learn the illustrations from nature. Be observant about nature. Be observant about these things. And if you'll do them, you can enter the kingdom. So instead of handing them a book on child development, like we would in our culture today, he brings an actual child and says, see this? Change and become like this. And if you don't, you won't be able to enter. So let's talk for a minute. What is childlikeness like? I've been so blessed because, you know, the, the Lord is like showing me this stuff. And, you know, we're at that stage where we got little children. I want you to think about a child that does not know good from bad and think about what they're like. They're open. They're spontaneous. They're curious. Basically, children that don't know good from bad, they just live in the flow of life. They don't the other day we went out to eat and you know, our kids have like a lifespan in restaurants of about 30, 45 minutes. And once that life, once that has expended itself, it's like, we're all done. It's like everybody in the restaurant is like, they should be done by now. (laughs) And the older they get, the the, the rowdier they get, and the more out of control they get. And so, here's Dad. So, you know, we have these, uh, lots of illustrations. So the other, yesterday, just yesterday, we're eating at this restaurant, and they had painted this information, you know how they paint on the windows, Like stuff, like you know, we're I don't know, I can't remember what it said, but you know what I'm talking about, right? The special or something on the window, and so when and we're with my we're with my in-laws, and so my my father-in-law goes out to his van, and so somehow we lose track of Josiah. I know it's hard to imagine, um, because we only have two, but I promise you, if you came to my house, you'd think we had at least four or six boys. If you came to my house and you didn't know us, you'd say, I thought they only had two boys. No, no, I swear I saw four because there was one here and then there was two here and the one downstairs and one outside. No, they're just little Tasmanian guys running around, you know. And so we lose track of Josiah, and Josiah's out there on the window, and I look at the window, and there's Josiah standing there, and he's like scraping with his finger, standing on the window, like gone on the windowsill, and he's standing all plastered up, and he's just doing this. Now, nobody told him he's not supposed to do that. He's just open. He's just spontaneous. He's just curious. He's just going with the flow of life. You know, while I'm on the top of the restaurants, I might as well tell him myself. I have tried to dine and dash twice. You know what dining and dashing is, right? Twice, but by accident. Because it took them too long. I mean, part of the problem is it took them too long to get us our food. So like, before the food even shows up, like, our 30 minutes were done. Like, like, I think from now on I'm just gonna bring a little timer. I'm gonna set it on the table at 30 minutes. I'm gonna hit start. I'm gonna say, if you don't have my food and everything, forget it. Because you will want me to leave as bad as I'm gonna to want to leave. I'm just saying, right now. And your guests are going to want us to sleep. So we're, when Justin Service was here, when Justin was here pre- preaching, we took him to uh, what's that place? Buffalo Wild Wings because they have little iPads that the kids can play on. You know, so that gives us that buys us another fifteen minutes. <laughs> Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. And but it took them too long. So the next thing I know, they're like running around, bumping into tables and. I don't even know what, I'm like just gathering them up, I'm like, let's just get them out of here as quick as we can, and so I'm gathering them up, and we walk out the, the thing, and trying to get six boys, I mean two boys out the door, and, and we're standing in the parking lot, cause Josiah's off chasing a lizard or something, and, and I'm telling you, the manager comes out, just mad as heck, and, and he's like, hey, you didn't pay for your bill. Like, oh, yeah, that's too (laughs) time-consuming. My nephew Alex works at the poorhouse. We did it at the poorhouse just not too long ago. I thought, well, the owners know us, fortunately. I was like, well, we wouldn't be hard to find, you know. (laughs) One of my nieces works there too, and our waitress asked the niece, "Do they get a comp or something?" (laughs) Like, "No, they don't get a comp." Well, they're out in the parking lot. They didn't pay the bill. (laughs) All that to say, you know, they don't know you're supposed to pay the bill. (laughs) They don't know you're not supposed to climb on the the windows and swing from the chandeliers, and it's down on the table. Jump on Do you see what I'm saying? Because they they haven't been ingrained with that stuff. So there is a tremendous amount of liberty, a tremendous amount of innocence inside their life. They're just innocent. They're not. They're not. Um, so you know, I'm not. I'm not. What I'm. What I am trying to say. What I think Jesus is trying to say. Until you can recapture the innocence of this little child who does not know good and bad, so that your spontaneity comes back to you, so that your curiosity comes back to you, so that your freedom of expression inside your being is restored to you. Unless that happens, you cannot get into the kingdom of heaven to abide. Therefore, you will not be able to live a supernatural lifestyle, you will have to be content with a supernatural once in a while. If you don't learn how to become like a child and have that stuff restored to you, you will not be able to sit at the table even though your place is set. You will have to beg for the crumbs that fall from the table because you don't know the etiquette of the Kingdom of God. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He said, unless you change and become like a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom. Because here's what happens there's this whole there's this whole illusory world out there that operates off the tree off the good bad tree with the accuser <laughs> opening The door to it. The serpent opens the door. The serpent tempts us with the knowledge of good and evil in order that he might have a reference point by which to accuse us in order to keep us out of the things of God. He tempts us with the knowledge of good and bad in order to have a leverage point. Because without that reference, accusation, condemnation, guilt, and shame cannot exist. So what happens is, is that we buy in. And and the whole worldly system, including the entire religious system, is based on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All of it. I had an experience. I was like, God, you know, like, so so here's what happens to me, you know. Like, the Holy Spirit will come. I'll feel His presence. I don't have trouble with that. I mean, I can feel His presence. And you know, God wants a heart-to-heart connection with you. (laughs) You know? He really does. He wants a passionate, loving connection with you. All of you. Even the ones who you say, well, I'm not like that. You were as a child. I guarantee it. (sighs) Don't tell me, I'm not like that. You just got preconditioned. You were like that. All of us were like that. Parents, grandparents, come on. And unless you convert back to that, you'll just have a supernatural once in a while and not a supernatural lifestyle. And so the presence of God will come. But it's like lately, it's like I know God wants to take me deeper in something. And it's like I can get right up to the entry point of it. And my problem is I'm too analytical. I start analyzing it. I start examining it. No, that can't can't be God. That's not supposed to be like that. Whatever. Right? And... I can't enter into it. <laughs> and so the reason I can't, and, and so I'm like struggling. I'm like, Lord, how come I can't enter into these experiences? Now, I've been at this a little bit longer. So there are different entry points. Let's look at it this way. The kingdom of God is like, let's let this metaphor, totally metaphor. But let's just imagine the kingdom of God like a, let's do it like a giant house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And you may be just going into the entry room. But if you go farther, there's a living room. If you go farther, there's a utility room. And each one of these rooms has an entry point. Right? So you might just be, you might be outside the house, wanting to come in the door of God's presence, but every time you try to experience the presence of God, meaning every time you try to pray, every time you try to relate to Him, every time you get into worship, you, you, you just start to get there. Maybe you get right up to the door, but you start thinking about everything that's bad, everything that's wrong, everything that's bad with you, everything that's wrong with you, everything that's wrong with your life, every mistake you ever made, every problem you ever had. And if you're not blaming yourself, you're blaming somebody else because you shouldn't be in this situation. If they would have just done right, and did right and done right and whatever, then I wouldn't be in this situation. Or, and I said this in the first service, and I know it sent shockwaves to everybody, you're blaming God. And I'm going to tell you something, and I absolutely mean this, you have not even begun, listen to me very carefully, you have not even begun to experience the life God has for you if you have not ever learned how to forgive God. You have to. You and I. We have to forgive God in order to enter into the things that God has for us. Not because God has sinned, but I've got news for you: not everyone that you or I need to forgive sinned against us. Actually, like did what the Bible calls sin. It's something else that you're up, been out of shape about. The issue of forgiveness is never about the commission of the act of the person. It's always about the structure in your own heart and what you're clinging to. And you will, you and I will, have to forgive God. Because. And if you say, oh no, I don't ever have to forgive God. God's too good. Because like, that's our, our thing around here, right? You know, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good, right? And so some of us are sitting there saying, oh no, I've never had to forgive God. Then you're just in denial totally in denial. You're even further from the kingdom than the person who says, yeah, I need to forgive God. You know how I know? Because God will not always live up to your expectations. God will not live up to your expectations. And He will not perform according to them. There are some things that are going to happen in your life, and God could have stopped them, and God could have done something about them, and God could have corrected it, and God could have fixed it, and He didn't do it, and He hasn't done it, and I got news for you, He ain't going to do it. Yeah, but I got to believe. How long you been believing? Yeah, but you shouldn't talk like that. How long you been talking positive? All that does, all you're doing is trying to reaffirm yourself in your dysfunction so that you don't have to come out of denial, so we don't have to come out of denial that God has disappointed us. It's part of returning to childlikeness. Because a child doesn't know what to expect. So he's not always measuring, or her is not always measuring her experience by her expectations. A child doesn't know what the rules are and how things are supposed to work. So when they work the rules that they were given, and they work the principles that they were given, and they work the plans that they were given, they're not struggling with disappointment because it didn't work out the way it was supposed to. That make sense? I really took a rabbit trail. <laughs> God will disappoint you. Does not mean he sinned against you, and that's no reason for you to just pick up your toys and go home. We're talking about childlikeness, not childishness. There's a difference between childlike wonder and awe and you know what I'm saying? And children, they just go with the flow of life too, though, don't they? Children process their emotions really quickly. Listen, I disappoint my kids all the time, and it's amazing to me, it's amazing to me how I can disappoint my kids and then five minutes later, I mean really discipline my kids, dis- disappoint them because for whatever reason, maybe I disciplined them, maybe I was supposed to bring them something home from the trip and I forgot to go to the toy store when I was there, or, or who knows? Maybe I promised I was going to do something for them and I didn't do it, right? And so, they're, so they're, they're, whether the disappointment's legitimate or not is not the issue. But they can be totally disappointed with me, totally upset with me, crying, saying, Daddy, I hate you. And then five minutes later, we sit around the dinner table, and they're praying a heartfelt grace. Thank you for my mommy and daddy. And then ten minutes later, they're crawling up in my lap and wanting to be with me. Why? Because they process things really quickly because they're not judging things at the good-bad tree. So even when you're childish with God, if you're really childlike, it doesn't stick. Because nothing sticks to a child, because a child doesn't expect permanence. Can I give you one more piece of good news? You ready for it? Everything you have, everything you have in this world. Everything I have, you're going to lose All of it. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, your car, your house, your relationships. Your healthy body. Ain't no healthy bodies in the cemetery. Ain't no corpses pulling up in a new car. Ain't no divorce court there. Do you understand? We demand permanence in a world that doesn't have any. And when it doesn't meet our expectations, emotionally now we're stuck. All of that is the byproduct of the good bad tree. So, you fight. So, here's what we do. I do this. I, I'm saying you because I'm projecting. I'm preaching to myself, but really, I mean, I really am. You ever do that? You say, well, you know how such and such is. And, it's, and they're talking about themselves. Well, you know how it is when you get disappointed. And I always have fun with people and say, well, I know how it is when I get disappointed, but I don't know how it is when you get disappointed. That's what I'm doing. I'm saying you, but I'm talking to myself. Right? What happens is, is we compromise who we are in our essence, thinking that we can preserve something that cannot be preserved. So we exchange the eternalness of who we are for the illusory promise of solidity in the world of temporality. Yeah, somebody's like, what did he just say? <laughs> 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 I can see the looks. <laughs> Trey, you want to interpret that for me? <laughs> I <get>, can <clears throat> Y'all, he needs the interpretation. Watch this. All right. Who you are in your being, who you came from the womb, The you that's childlike, that's eternal. That lasts forever. You will have eternal life. But everything else, status, job, family, relationships, everything else is passing away. Everything else. And what happens is is we compromise, we shave off pieces of who we are in order to fit in this illusory, in this, in this lying world of deception to try to acquire or maintain something that we were never meant to keep. So we sacrifice eternity for the sake of something that's passing away. And we lose them both. Let me tell you, this is a Jewish parable. It's not in the Bible. But it is from the first century, from the time of Jesus. So chances are really good that Jesus knew this parable, even if it's not in our Bible. The kingdom of God is like a certain woman who was carrying a jar full of meal. And while she was walking on a road, still some distance from home, the handle of the jar broke, and the meal emptied out behind her on the road. She did not realize it. She noticed no accident. And when she, when she reached her house, she set the jar down and found it empty. When Jeanette was talking about the scroll, God wrote a scroll about you. He, 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 put, he saw your days. He knew who He wanted you to be. And he, he wrote all of that inside your essence, inside your being. Let's use a different metaphor. He sent you into this world as a vessel Containing meal, wheat, flour, something that would sustain you and others. But as we start out, our vessels get broken. Sometimes we notice, but sometimes we don't notice. Sometimes there's somebody to blame, but oftentimes there's nobody to blame. It's just an accident. And we're going on the journey, and what we don't realize is that everything that God put in us that we were supposed to enjoy and share with the world is leaking out behind us while we're distracted by all that we think that the world has to offer us. Judging ourselves the whole way for not measuring up, not fitting in, not having enough, not being enough, not doing enough blinded at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, losing our life the whole way. And in this parable, I think Jesus would have told this parable a little bit differently. I'll give you how I think Jesus would have told it. In the story, the story is intended to tell you, watch your vessel, watch your meal, guard your meal. (laughs) Don't compromise it along the way and lose it along the way. Because you want to get something that maybe you weren't even intended to have. Because you bought into a lie that you had to be something in order to be something. I think Jesus might tell it this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who has meal in her jar. And she's carrying the vessel. And the vessel breaks. And the meal leaks out. And she doesn't notice. And she gets home and she looks in her vessel and she finds that it's empty. And then there's a knock on the door. And she opens the door and there's a man who says, I noticed, I was watching your journey and I noticed that your vessel broke and that your meal began to leak out. And so I went behind you and I collected it all and I went one better. I baked it, and here's the bread. This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for the remission of your sins. And everything you thought you lost, I've gathered it together. I've transformed it. And if you'll let me in your house, I'll give it back to you so that you and everybody else can enjoy the meal that I sent you here to bake. Do you understand that when God taught when Luke talks about the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, he's not just talking about people that we've judged and said they don't get in, but we do. He can also because the Bible says that Jesus is the shepherd of our souls, and a shepherd never just has one sheep. So if he's the shepherd of your soul, you, you have many sheep inside you. And God cares so much about all your lost sheep. He cares so much about one lost coin in your life that he'll sweep the entire house looking for the one coin so that he can give it back to you. He cares so much about the one lost sheep that he'll scour the countryside looking for that lost sheep in order to restore it to you. He cares so much about one lost child that he'll be willing to sacrifice everything in that culture that gives him honor and run to a son that dishonored him, not demanding recompense, but in order to restore the lost son who has come home. That's why the psalmist said, He restoreth my soul. So, if you don't have spontaneity, if you don't have joy, if you don't have curiosity, if you don't have that childlikeness, where did it leak out? And the great thing is you don't even have to know because there's a man who's come behind and gathered it all up. All you have to do is meet the man. Amen? Let's close our eyes. Come on, gang. I mean, I don't know if this, like this wrecks me. I mean, this really just wrecks me. <sighs> like if I could have one prayer, Lord, restore childlike heart to all of us. A little child that doesn't know good from bad. <sighs> Thank you Lord. If you want to respond to that, if you want to, if you're ready to, I want to pray for you i don't want to send I don't want to open you up and then send you home bleeding. so come on, if that's you today, and it could be every person in this room, and it may be nobody you know, hey, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> As a preacher, I mean, it doesn't matter to me is what I'm trying to say. But if it matters to you, if it matters to you, I want to give you a chance to respond. So would you just come? Just, You know, no fanfare, music, just just Come. hands up like this. (laughs) Now, just admit where you are. That's the first part, you know. Just admit where you are. Just in your heart, Lord, here I am. Lord, I've lost so much of myself. I've compromised so much of myself at the tree of knowledge. Some of you are so tired of having to get it right. You're so tired of having to get it right. You're so tired of having to be right. It's exhausting. (laughs) It really is. Why don't you lay that need down? Maybe for you that's where it starts. You just, I'm going to lay that need to be right. Some of you, It's okay to say, you know what, I'm mad at God. Life didn't turn out according to my expectations, and it's God's fault. (laughs) Just admit that to yourself. It's not really, but just admit that to yourself, that you're thinking that. All that happened was God didn't live up to your expectations. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your presence. Thank you for your power. Thank you for all your wonderful kids. Thank you for all your sons and daughters. Lord, would you baptize us afresh and anew with your presence, would you baptize us afresh and anew with with such a wonderful work of who you are that you would gather up the broken pieces, you would gather up the lost pieces, you would gather up the shattered pieces and bring them back together. Father, I bless your people. In Jesus' name.